I have the joy of introducing you guys to my, my dear friend, uh, Teo Hayashi. And we have actually known each other, I want to say it's about eight years now. Eight years. It's been a while. And uh, in this season of my life, um, I don't know if it's just mid-30s or approaching 40 or what it is, but I'm recognizing the value of long-term relationships. You know, like people you've been friends with for a decade. And, and man, it's, that's really valuable. You know, I heard somebody say once, we know Jesus worked many supernatural miracles, but there was not much more supernatural than Jesus having close, 11 close friends in his 30s. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. So um, a little bit about Teofilo. Um, I won't go into it too far, but I'm going to give you a few highlights because there's a lot of great things about my friend. He and his wife, Junia, pastor a church in Sao Paulo, Brazil called Mount Zion Church uh, that his mother actually planted, which is, I think, is amazing because how many of you guys know we're not just a ministry here. We are a family. They're doing it as a family. I love that. And uh, T also has founded and leads something called Dunamis Movement. And if you have not checked them out, um, I pray to their YouTube channel and I sermon prep to their YouTube channel often. I don't understand what they're singing because it's in Portuguese, but that helps me focus and I know it's powerful. So I enjoy that. And uh, so check them out online. Amazing. Uh, guys, it's not just a conference. It's truly a movement that is touching young adults all over the globe. Um, through Dunamis Movement, they started Dunamis Pockets, which is a ministry uh, to campuses, universities all over the world. How many universities are you guys on? 400 universities all over the world through Dunamis Pockets. Um, last but not least, the Send Brazil, which I would love if you, if you would like uh, to share a little bit about the Send in Brazil, uh, an incredible revival movement reaching and sending missionaries all over planet Earth. So it's a very special day for us. You guys, if you've been through DNA, welcome to Church Party Anything, you know about T. This is one of our overseers here. So this isn't just a guest speaker. This is a pastor in our house. So we want to honor, bless, and respect uh, T as he comes to minister. So if you don't mind, just stand with me. Let's honor Teofilo. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Wow. Legacy. It's so it's so good to be at home to, uh, this morning. Uh, you know, Ashley, could you just remain standing up? I want to pray with you real quick. Um, and, and I just want to say something real quick. For me, it's, um, and it's an honor and privilege to walk with your uh, senior leaders, uh, Lyle and Allison. Like they said, we've been, uh, we've been in, in, in relationship for eight years. And uh, like Lyle said, as you go, you know, you get to meet a lot of people. I never thought when I met Lyle that we would be this close. Um, and I'm not going to go deep into that. But uh, it, it's, it's been a, a connect, a divine connection. Uh, my, my spiritual father is from Ghana, or West Africa. He's a prophet. And he would always tell me, remember, you're always one connection away from your destiny. It's one person that you meet as you're going, you know, running through an airport or you're in a lounge or you're in a cafe or you're in an elevator that could actually open up the door of all the prophetic words that have been stacking up in the spirit for you. So um, 
I, I, I feel like uh, Lyle is a connection for me. He, he, he says I'm like a, a pastor that oversees, but I get so encouraged by this relationship. And uh, you guys have a gift in the house. So won't you just give it up for Lyle and Allison as the pastors here? Yeah, yeah. I so appreciate what God is doing here in this family. And I just want to pray with y'all. I got a word for you, but I just want to pray. I know we've, we've prayed, but just raise your hands up there. And, and I know Lyle did the repeat after me thing. I'm going to do the same. So just say, Lord God, Holy Spirit, I give you permission. Bring alignment. Bring everything you want to bring. And you have freedom today. Confront me with your truth. Comfort me with your embrace. Above all else, I want to leave here transformed. So this morning, would you renew the first love in me? Teach me how to love you better so that I can love my neighbor as myself. In Jesus' name. If you love Jesus, just give him a big hand this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, you may be seated. My wife, Junia, Dunamis Movement Crew, Mount Zion Crew, everybody sends their love to you. You may not know them, but I'm sure across these years, uh, we'll get to, you'll get to meet some of them. And uh, uh, I got two boys that are uh, uh, back home. Uh, Zach is uh, three and a half. Koa is two years old. And uh, right before I leave, I've been doing uh, quite a bit of traveling this year. It's not as, I don't usually travel as much as I have this year, but... Uh, it happens that every time I leave, I, I get to, to pray with my boys. And uh, after I finish prayer, I ask, what is daddy going to do? And uh, they say, daddy's going to go talk about Jesus. And so that's what I plan to do this morning. Is that okay? All right. Well, open up with me to Esther chapter 4. I want to just, I actually have a lot of scripture today. And I'm going to try to rush or go as quick as I can to get uh, all of this out. But I feel like there's something burning in my heart for uh, what God is doing these days, and especially legacy. You're part of this, you know. Uh, whether you know this or not, you're part of this. And I want to start off with Esther chapter 4, verse 14. It talks about this relationship of an uncle with a niece. Uh, the uncle is Mordecai. The niece is Esther. You know her. She's beautiful. Uh, because of her looks, she gets in to become the king's wife. So she's Queen Esther. And Queen Esther is in a position that she has influence now people that are around her don't know she's jewish she's jewish and she finds herself in a position where her own people are under a threat of genocide and if there's somebody that can do something it's esther so mordecai is actually counting uh, calling her into accountability and mordecai kind of sees she's about to back away and this is what he says when he kind of gets the drift that she's about to be, you know, uh, be a pathetic and, 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 and think like or, or act like it's not, it's not about her. Verse 14, he says, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Say with me, relief and deliverance. Let me tell you, what God is going to do in your generation, what God's about to do here in Nashville and in America and in the nations, he's going to do it with you or without you. 
God is sovereign. He's going to do it with you or without you. What Mordecai is trying to remind Esther is you serve a sovereign God. Let me tell you, Esther, he's going to deliver his people with you or without you. He goes on and says, but you and your father's household will perish, which is kind of crazy for me because God is so powerful. He's going to do what he has to do. And, you know, he's reminded, listen, relief and deliverance is going to happen, but you will perish if you remain silent, which means you could actually lose your personal call as he fulfills the corporate call. He doesn't need your personal call to fulfill his call. We get to be in the call. Does that make sense? So it's always like that. We approach him in that mindset. I get to do with you what you will do across the face of the earth. And because we were in that position, Mordecai just throws in that question that just kind of like nudges her on her nerve. He says, yet, who knows? Maybe. Just maybe you have come to the throne or to this position for such a time as this. Say with me, such a time as this. You know, I want to I want to suggest to you that you're living in for such a time as this. First Chronicles 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 32. Uh, David is going through the list of his uh, of his warriors. So if you're with me in 1 Chronicles 12, chapter 32, it says that of the sons of Issachar, the tribe of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, the sermon of the times. You you need to get this because I believe God is doing something at this time. You were born for such a time and you need to understand the time. And it says about the uh, sons of Issachar that they had the sermon of the times and because they had that to know what Israel ought to do. See, this is what you got to understand. A good and efficient action plan actually has its roots in discernment of time. You may think you have a good strategy, but if it's not coming out of the sermon of times, it's not efficient. What what that means is last season strategy doesn't work for this this strategy. You know what we try to do? We try to, we try to go to social media for a good strategy. We try to talk to people uh, for a good strategy. We'll hire consultants for a good strategy. I got nothing against social media or consulting. I love that. But nothing of that will substitute the word of the Lord in your life. The word of the Lord in your life will actually give you the confidence to push through the dry seasons that any strategy will not be able to predict. Does that make sense? So we're living in such a time as this. And, and, you know, we we went through the agricultural age and and then humanity moves on to the industrial age. And now we're uh, sociologists. uh, They call it the information age. And in the information age, there's so many voices. And and Mordecai says, if you remain silent, see, the temptation is for you to not position yourself. You're in a time that requires positioning. And Mordecai is saying, listen, I don't need you to be eloquent, Esther. I don't need you to grab your own sword and go to war. Esther, I don't need you to come up with a military plan. All I need you to do is to position yourself. I got this, says the Lord. You're thinking, I need talent. I need money. I need, I need, I need the billion dollar idea. The Lord's saying, all I need for you to do is position yourself. 
You're living for such a time as this. Understand the time, and out of the understanding, you'll get the action plan that's efficient for this time. What is God doing today in Nashville? What is God doing today in America? What is God doing today in the nations? I love past revivals. I study past revivals. I love church history. Ten years ago when I moved from America back to Brazil, where I was, I'm originally from Brazil and spent a good chunk of my time here in America. But when the Lord called me out to go to move back, and I remember it was crazy. I was living in North Carolina, not too far from here. And I was about to take over a very big structured church. And people were telling me, that's, you know, that's the fulfillment of the prophecies you've had since you're a little boy. This is it. The Lord's honoring you. You hustled. You paid the price. You sold. Now you're about to harvest and all that good stuff. And I would go into my prayer closet and I would, I would face the Lord and he had a question for me. He would ask me, are you going after the kingdom dream or the American dream? So many times I would ha hear him and that, that question haunted me. I was like a green card holder. I was going to take over this church, good salary, everything. Oh, you're the phenom from Brazil coming to America. You're going to make it. And, and the Lord says, Are you, is that my dream or is that the American dream that they put in you when you landed in this, pe in, in this state? Where, where's that hard tale that you had when you lived out in New Delhi in that slum with, in the midst of the Muslims and you were just a whammer with a backpack and a Bible in it and all you cared about was sharing Jesus and you were good. We try to sophisticate stuff. He doesn't need human, you know, strategies. And I'm like, Lord, I'll, I'll go for the kingdom dream. Lord says, give up your green card. Tell him you're not take over the church. Finish this uh, relationship you have. I was pre pretty much engaged. This is not the one. For, uh, she's, nothing's wrong with her, but she's not the one for you. Get on the plane and move back to Brazil. I'm like, Lord, I don't have anything in Brazil. You go back to live in your mama's place. Go teach English. Ride the public bus. I'm talking 10 years ago. Start from scratch. You know, I understood that that was what the Lord had for me for that time. And I'll tell you, there was nothing more efficient than that strategy for that time because I understood this is the time I'm in. When I moved back, I mean, I got a phone call and it was, it was the, 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 the team that worked with Randy Clark. They said, we need a translator. Would you travel with Randy and translate? You guys familiar with Randy Clark and Toronto Blessing? And said, would you translate for him? And I, and I started tra traveling with him for maybe, you know, three to five months maybe. And, and I traveled and did crusades with him. And, and as I'm traveling, he would, you know, I, I did that. Not because I wanted to translate. Because, I mean, I, I'm not, I mean I, I, I'll serve. But I wanted to get time with him. And I was asking him questions. And I, could, I, I will never forget what he told me. He says, tell, you know what, throughout church history. And he's a, he's a theologian. I mean, this guy a brain he says throughout church history you got to understand that all the time that a revival breaks through and outpouring happens the people that oppose it 99% of the time are the leaders of the previous move of God you know why because they don't understand the time I said, no, 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 that's not revival. Revival was what we had last decade in my hometown and what happened there when missionaries so-and-so started revival meetings let me tell you, man, the Lord has always taken us into from glory to glory. Yeah. 
What God's doing right now is, has nothing to do with what he did in the past, has nothing to do with what he will do tomorrow. You got to understand what God is doing today yes. for such a time as this. I, I remember when I was, uh, 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 you know, maybe a year ago, my friend Andy Bird from YWAM Kona comes out and says, I'm, you know, he's going to come teach in Brazil. I, I host him. And this is uh, April 2018. I host him for lunch and we go to a Brazilian steakhouse. Have any of you been to a churrascaria, a Brazilian steakhouse like Fogo de Chão? Yeah? Okay, that's heaven on earth. That is revival. <laughs> and they're bringing out those steaks, different kind of meat and everything. And, and, and Andy is just talking to me about this thing called the call that transitioned to become the send and Lou Engel kind of handed it over to him but there were some legal issues that were kind of blocking it there were a bunch of like financial things that weren't happening and things that were promised weren't you know it just didn't come through fruition too much detail to get into but anyways as he's sharing this he's super discouraged I feel the Holy Spirit tell me just pray with your friend just encourage him just you know inject faith in him and I'm like Lord we're, we're, we're eating meat uh, we're supposed to eat steak now, not to pray. And the Lord just, just pray. And I said, yes, Lord. And so I reached out my hand. I, I grabbed his hand. I started praying with him. And as I started praying with him, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm just going to obey the Holy Spirit. I'll just do a, a simple prayer. And then I, I'm praying a simple prayer. Father, just encourage my buddy Andy here. And, and suddenly, I just kind of sense the glory coming in. And suddenly, I'm like, koto. And I'm like, no, you can't do this in a steakhouse, bro. Well, bro, the presence of God just, just flooded that place. I had my leadership team in the, in, on the table, in, at the table at the time, too. And, and, and they were weeping. I looked, and it was, it, was, it was a tangible presence of God. I looked around me. I mean, we were, we were getting loud. We were getting really Pentecostal in that place. And, and, uh, and, and it was like, if I wouldn't have been drunk in the spirit, I would have been, you know, embarrassed. But I was so drunk, I didn't care anymore. And I'm like, shout, Lord, more. And, and, and he's like, oh. And then suddenly, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I open my eyes. I look around. The waiters, you know, you know these, these steakhouses, they, they carry meat and skewers. These guys had the skewers of meat. And they're like, Ooh. They were weeping. Power of God just hit that restaurant. We finished prayer, and his phone starts ringing. Starts ringing, ringing, ringing. He get, picks it up, walks out, takes the call, come back. Make a long story short, it was maybe four or five phone calls. That lunch, we stayed there for a long time. But after lunch was done, every legal issue, everything that was bound up was released right there. Right there, right there. At the end of lunch, as the bill is coming, he's looking at me and says, that's you, Tail. I'm like, what's me? You need to be part of this. And I said, no. I will not be part of this thing, man. That's your deal. I'm just here to encourage you, to pray for you. This is not me. No, you need to be part of this in leadership. I said, bro, it's you, man. I'm thinking I got a church to run. I got a, I got a whole Christian movement of university students to run. I got two boys and a family, my wife. I'm like, no, 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 I don't have time for this. And the Holy Spirit just asked me, will you just rise up for such a time as this? I just need you to position yourself. So to make a long story short, I said yes. I had no clue what I was getting into. I said yes to something I didn't understand. I just said yes. 
And then suddenly he says, well, we're going to go some meetings and you're going to meet the rest of the, the people. Most of them I knew already. But basically it's, you know, it's, it's, it's six, six ministries getting together. Uh, YOM and Reinhard Bonnke's successor, Daniel Kalinda and Michael Culianos uh, and, and uh, Lou Engel and Todd White and myself. We got together to form this thing called The Send. I, I'm like, so what are we doing here? I'm like, the last one coming in? I'm like, what are we doing here? Oh, we're going to pack out Camping World Stadium in Orlando with crazy, hungry, young people that love Jesus that are all about the Great Commission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, let's do that. And, and, and as we started getting into this thing, I was kind of learning as I went. February 23rd uh, in, in, uh, in, in Orlando, we get there. And I step on the stage. The stadium is packed out. 60,000 young, young, uh, young people showed up in love with Jesus. But as I'm looking down the crowd, I start seeing Brazil jersey, Brazil jersey, Brazil jersey, Brazil jersey. I'm like, what? I mean, are we in Brazil or are we in America? And, and apparently, uh, they told me later on that 15 to 20% of the people there were from Brazil in that stadium. And the worship was so lit that they were looking at me. They're like, what are they saying? I'm like, I'm trying to translate the sound. The PA system is so loud. They're like, forget about it. I'm just going to enjoy the anointing. Oh, they didn't understand anything, but they were just under the anointing, right? And then so the next day uh, comes and, and, and then we get together Sunday, Sunday morning. We're like, so what's next? What's next for the send? I mean, we had, we had taken maybe nine months out of our lives to prepare for that one day. We have good metrics of people saying yes to the Great Commission to take their high schools for Jesus, their university campuses for Jesus, families that are going to, uh, they're saying yes to adopting kids. Kids that are saying, I will dedicate my life as a missionary to the 1040 window. We have the metrics for these things. And there's, they're asking, so what's next? And, and, and as we're there together, Lou says, we all can agree that yesterday wouldn't have been yesterday if it wasn't for the Brazilians. And they look at me. And then he says, will you be next? I'm like, what did I get myself into, man? But the Lord says, for such a time as this, relief and deliverance will come from the other side. Will you say yes? I said yes. I said yes to that for February 8th, 2020. You're all invited. Come out to Brazil for the send. So last month, I'm in Alabama, not too far from here. And I'm preaching there at a church Sunday. Monday, we're supposed to start registration, open up for registration. So when it comes Monday, we open up for registration and we're behind uh, the time zone. So they opened up before I woke up. When I woke up, my phone was blowing up. It was people saying, one hour, 10,000 tickets sold. What you got to understand is we're selling tickets. We're not giving, it's not free registration like it was in Orlando. It, we're actually charging for people to come. Right, right. 10,000 people. I'm like, no, 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 something's wrong with the system. Call the company that's doing the ticketing. Make sure that everything is right. It's wrong because we had hired 17 full-time staff to mobilize for nine months to pack out the biggest stadium in Sao Paulo, which is Modern B Stadium, 80,000 people. We had a strategy of mobilization for nine months to pack it out. And they tell me, one hour, 10,000. 
I'm like, no, 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 wrong, wrong. Go take a shower. Come out of the shower. I get another text. 12,000. No, 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 no. I'm going to grab something to eat. I need my coffee. I go get my coffee. When I come back, it's 20,000. Make a long story short. We sold out an 80,000-seater stadium. It's, it's Brazil's second largest soccer, uh, soccer stadium. In Brazil, soccer stadiums aren't stadiums. They're temples. We worship soccer. So if there's any Brazilian in the house, if I say Morumbi Stadium, it's kind of like saying Dallas Cowboys Stadium for football. This thing is, was packed out, 80,000 tickets in five and a half hours. Gone. They call us, the people, the management from the stadium. Like, did you guys, do you realize what you just did? I'm like, what did we just do? We packed out your stadium in five and a half hours. He said, not only that, you beat U2 and Coldplay's record. Their record was six hours. And we haven't announced a speaker. We haven't announced a singer, nothing, nothing. And the Lord said, there's a sovereign hunger for such a time as this. I'm like, Lord, how do you, I've never done this in my life. I don't know how many of you have packed out a statement in five, five and a half hours. I just had, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And then suddenly people say, there's so many people that want tickets. They don't have tickets. We said, open up a waiting list. We opened up a waiting list. A week later, we had 80,000 people in the waiting list. Lauren Cunningham gets the word of this. And he says, Andy, tell tale this. When you pack out Morumbi Stadium, when you sell out in six hours or five and a half hours, it's out of your control. Once it's out of your control, don't you dare put your hand to control it. It's sovereign. You just build structure around it. That's all you do. So we went back to the prayer closet and asked, Lord, what's next? And we felt another stadium. So we opened up a second stadium. What would it look like simultaneous in the same city? The second stadium is, is a bit smaller. It's 50,000 people packed out. Wow, wow, wow. So we're asking the Lord, what's next? And we're talking to the third stadium. And I'm talking to these people that are coming. They're like, how are we going to do it? Like Jeremy Riddle, like, how, how do I play it? Two plays at the same time, man. Like, well, you play in the morning here, and then we drive you out to this one. You play here, and then if we go for the third stadium, we get you on a jet. We fly you out to Brazil or to Rio. You play there. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you this because this is so over my head. Yeah, come on. And last, last month, I was in Canada preaching, Ottawa, to one of our good friends, Sean Gaby. And, and, and Sean... We were having dinner Saturday night. I was going to preach Sunday morning. He said, hey, Taylor, if you have a word of the Lord for the church tomorrow, you know, feel free. I'm like, okay. Go to bed. Wake up next morning. I'm in prayer. I'm actually getting ready to go to church. I'm like, Lord, do you have anything? And, and as I'm like just kind of waiting on the Lord, I'm walking into church. As I walk into church, I get a word. It's a weird word, but I get a word. And kind of, I, I'm wrestling with this thing. Is, is this for real? Lord, is this, is this you? So I get up there and I said, Sean, I was praying last night and get anything. But this morning, I feel the Lord told me something. I want to just kind of release this over the church. He's like, yeah, go ahead. I said, the word that I got from the Lord is chasing Mavericks. Like the movie. You guys seen the movie? Chasing Mavericks. Gerald Butler. You know, it's, it's, it's a story about this older surfer with the younger surfer and he's 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 teaching this guy how to ride the big waves of off the coast of Half Moon Bay in, in California. Chasing Mavericks. The beach is called Mavericks. 
And, and so, so I said, uh, and he goes from the front row, he's like, oh my God. I'm like, what does that mean? And he's like, well, go ahead. I say, well, Lord is telling you that there's a wave coming and it's like you're chasing mavericks, but you're sitting on your board and you feel like you're bored. Some of you guys feel like you're bored because you're waiting for this move. Let me tell you, when you chase mavericks, you're, go you're getting ready. You're getting your whole life ready for one wave. And you don't, if you don't have the vision to understand the times, you'll sit on your board and you'll actually consider quitting because you're bored. And the Lord said, Sean, you're not bored. You're sitting on your board. And it's coming. And he starts flipping out because our buddy, Sean Gaby, he's a weightlifter. So Saturday he had a competition. And because of his competition, he was like on the strict diet. And the Sunday before, which I wasn't in Canada the Sunday before, he goes to his congregation and he says, I haven't eaten sugar for four months. I am so starving for sugar. I have my competition in six days. After my competition, the first thing I want to do is get donuts from Mavericks. Mavericks was a local coffee shop that had the best donuts in Ottawa. I had no clue. It's not a franchise. It's like a local coffee shop. And that morning, his team had brought a whole box of Maverick donuts as a sign to him. And I'm like, I get this word, chasing Mavericks. I'm like, oh my God. So anyways, I released that word and then I'm, I'm walking out, you know, I'm flying out of Canada and the Lord starts speaking to me. He's like, that's, that's, that word's for you too. Wow. Like, Lord, how, how, I mean, what, what do you mean that word's for me? I got a picture here. If we could just post that up. This is Mavericks. You know, this, this surfer right here, he's surfing this wave and I believe, you know, I don't know this guy, but I know one thing for sure. He's actually fearful right there. It's a mix of emotion. He, I mean, he's excited, but I, I'll tell you what, he, he's afraid. Check out the size of that wave. The Lord told me, I'm sending you a wave. Two packed out stadiums going on the third. That's a maverick wave. I was prophesying that to Sean Gabe. I said, look, Lord, send you a maverick wave. The Lord said, you're that guy right there. I'm excited, but I'm afraid. I'll tell you that. I'm like, Lord, what do you do when you have two packed out stadiums and going for the third? What do you do when the ministry is exploding? And, 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 and the Lord says, that wave represents favor. See, a lot of us, all our lives, we've been conditioned to go for the breakthrough. All your training, everything that you actually, you know, learn is how to get the breakthrough. But you know what we've never learned? How do you manage breakthrough? So when breakthrough comes, what do you do with it? Yeah. How do you navigate favor? Yeah. That's the big question. And I feel like a lot of revivals stop because we don't understand the times and we don't know how to navigate favor. So if the Lord would bring revival to, to this place, if the Lord would, would bring, bring breakthrough to your life, how do you manage that? How do you manage favor? That's the question that's been burning my heart. Lord, how do I manage favor? And as I look at this picture, I'm thinking all he needs to do, and I'm not a surfer, but I got a lot of friends that are, and I've kind of, you know, messed around with that a little bit. It's, it's one of these ways that it's not about you doing tricks. 
You know, you're on TV and you see those guys doing the flips and, you know, the aerials and the 360s. Not on this wave. For this kind of big wave riding, all you need to do is survive. How do you survive favor? It's about positioning yourself. If you remain silent, relief and deliverance will come from the other side. So when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, Lord, all I need to do is position myself. Help me position myself like Esther positioned herself. Help me understand the times like the sons of Issachar did so that I can know the best action plan. I want to know how to navigate favor because if you don't know how to navigate favor, favor will kill you. Revival can kill you if you don't know how to manage revival. It could kill your family. It could kill your relationships. It could kill marriage. It could be make, you know, pastor kids cynical. I'm looking at my kids and thinking, how will they love Jesus? How do I raise them up to continue on fire? How will my marriage survive favor? The demands of favor. I want to go into Exodus 33 real quick. Chapter 12 or chapter 33 verse 12 says that Moses said to the Lord, you say to me, bring me up these people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray I have found if I have found grace in your sight, show me your ways. Say with me, show me your ways. See, I believe that's how you navigate favor. You know, the people of Israel, they had favor. To the point where they saw the Red Sea split up, to the point where they saw a pillar of cloud in the day, in the, protecting them from the sun, a pillar of fire in the night, warming them up in the desert. I mean, they had breakfast that fell from heaven. They had water coming out of the rock. They've seen revival. They've seen signs and wonders. You know what? What happens when you've seen healings, deliverances, when you've seen miracles? All that happens is now you know what God can do. Yeah. Oh, my, my buddy, man, he's been in revival meetings. That doesn't mean anything. All he knows is what God can do. Yeah. Moses wasn't about just the works of God. You got to get this. We're not doing this for the works of God. I mean, the works of God will attract people. But if you don't graduate from the works of God to the ways of God, all you'll know is what he can do. You'll never graduate to the point where you know who he is. How do you navigate favor when you know his ways, when you fall in love with his ways, when you're committed to his ways, not only to his work. I don't come to a meeting because I want to see a, you know, a word of knowledge is going to be like, wow, my gosh. No, 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 I want to meet him because I want to meet him face to face. I'm all about the signs and wonders. I'm all about the miracles, the healings, the deliverance, the salvations. But it needs to lead me to a place that's deeper where I say, Lord, I want to know your ways. Why did Moses say, if you want me to take these people up from here, I better know your ways? Because he knew so far just seeing your works is not enough. We've been going around the desert. But if we're going to go into the promised land and actually in a sustainable way, carry and host revival, I need to know your ways because the ways will show me who you are your words will only show me what you can do I am not satisfied with only knowing what you can do I'm grateful but I'm hungry to know who you are 
How do you navigate favor? When you're committed to his ways. Lord, ask me, how do you know if you're committed to my ways? Like, Lord, I don't know. And, and the Lord took me on this journey. And, and, and basically, I've been praying this prayer saying, Lord, I don't want your provision. I don't want your protection if it's going to cost me your presence. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you can honestly pray that, wow. you're committed to his ways. Yeah. If you can honestly say, Lord, I don't want your blessing if it's going to come at the expense of the blesser. You know, people that are committed to see the works of God, hey, give me protection, give me provision, uh, give me the blessing. What about the presence of the blesser? Um, yeah, yeah, that's fine, but I, I want the protection. I want. People are so in a rush to get into the promised land and then realize, hey, listen, there's a way that you do to get to the promised land to guarantee that once you're in the promised land, he's there. Tragedy would be if you go through all the hoops and loops to get into the promised land and you find out he's not there. You got a land, it was promised to you, he's not there. How do you go into your promised land and navigate favor and make sure that he's there? It's knowing his ways. Does this make sense? There's a story that I really can't really get into this because of time, but 2 Samuel 6. You can just write this down and I'm going to try to Actually, you know what? Open it with me real quick. 2 Samuel 6 verse 3 says that the ark of God was in the house of Abinadab. So what you got to understand is right when David gets enthroned, first thing he does is, I'm going to correct that wrong. The ark of the Lord, which represents his presence. Moses saying, show me your ways. Don't make me go up from here if your presence will come with me. See, if you're committed to the ways, he'll back you up with his presence constantly. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. the ways guarantee you his presence. Yeah. And, and, and David says, hey, this is wrong. The presence of God should not be outside the city of David. He needs to go into the temple and he needs to go into the city of David. We're bringing in the ark back to the city of David. And that's the first thing he does. Well, some theologians believe that the, the, the ark of the covenant was in Abinadab's house. Some believe 20 years or in some other believe 40 years. Whether the case be 20 or 40, it was a long time. And the, and the ark was there in this house because it, it, it couldn't, there was no place to host the presence. And it says here on verse 3 that they, they, they're going to move it. They set the ark on a new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the two sons of Abinadab, Ahio and Uzzah, they drove the new cart. Pay attention. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill, and Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played worship, music before the Lord with all kinds of instruments. And as they were going through the threshing floor of Nacon, verse 6, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took a hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And then the anger of the Lord aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. Well, we need to understand that the original text says that the word that says that he, he died was he was ruptured. Basically like a ray exploded him. His guts flying everywhere. Blood all over the place. So imagine the scene. 
David is worshiping. It's a party. A heels in the front. Uzzah's in the back. The oxen stumble. The cart shakes. The ark is coming down. Uzzah had good intentions. Boom. The Lord just blows them up. Now, talk about like, you know, it's a damper on your party. Woo, praise God. You got guts and blood all over the place. And David doesn't know what to do. It says here, verse 8, that David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Paris Uzzah to this day. Now, David, verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but he took it and put it in the house of Obed-Edom. So David didn't know what to do. He says, well, let's park this ark here at Obed-Edom's uh, house. And, and, and he goes back and he's for three months. He's angry. He's confused. He's in a crisis. David's like, what's happening? I had good intentions. I wanted to bring the ark out of Abinadab's house to the city of David. But the ark killed the man. The man had a good intentions. God, what did you do? And he's confused. He's angry. He doesn't know what to do. So he, because he doesn't know what to do, he says, just park this thing here. I'm going to think about it. And he's in his palace for three months in a crisis. Verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. The Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of the Lord. So David went and brought up the ark of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with gladness. See, see, this is what you got to understand. And I'm going to rush because my time is almost up. But look, he says, wow, Obed-Edom is being blessed. And that brings relief. Finally, his, his conflict is solved because you got to understand that his conflict was, Lord, how can something so precious, your presence, do something so evil? Kill the man that had good intentions. I'm confused. So in three months, he's trying to go through his theological convictions, trying to figure out what is happening. What's happening here? And suddenly somebody brings the news. Hey, the ark has been in three months at Obedidom's house. It's blessed the whole, the whole household. All of Obedidom's family is blessed. Why? Because of the ark. So, so pay attention. 20 years versus three months. One brings death. The other brings blessing in his heart it was settled the problem was never the ark the problem was never the presence the issue was how do you host the presence same presence two different results what is what is david settling in his heart and he's glad he's like I'm happy. Why is David happy? Because now I've solved the situation, the mystery. What's the mystery? It's not about the presence. The presence is all good. It's a hundred. Yes. Yes. What was wrong, David? It was the irreverence of Abinadab because Abinadab probably put the ark in his living room. And somehow Uzzah and Ahia would bring their buddies over and they would watch TV and the ark was right there. They would grab breakfast and the ark was right there. They would have dinner and the ark was right there. That's just the ark. You get casual. You get casual with the presence. You get casual with revival. You get casual with signs and wonders. You get casual with the prophetic and you're like, ah, ah. And my man had good intentions. 
It's about to fall down. Stop. Why did he have that good intention and so casual about it? Because he was brought up to be casual about the ark. To the point that in Numbers 4, and we're not going to go there, but they had specific orders. How do you transfer the ark from one place to another place? But they were so casual, they thought, man, we've got good intentions. Let's put it, let's put it in a new cart. A new cart is fast. A new cart is sexy. A new cart, oh, bro, it's millennial. It's, it's 2020. A new cart, we'll get there. Woo, new cart. Let me tell you, God doesn't need your help for revival. All he needs is your positioning. And when you get in that wave and you try to do new tricks, he's not thinking about doing tricks. I just want to ride your favor. Does that make sense? And I'll finish up with this. If the worship team can get up real quick. Now it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Abedadom. David brought it up from the house of Abedadom to the city of David with gladness. Check out verse 13. We'll finish with this. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six steps that he sacrificed ox and fat sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. Now, this is what you got to get. David finally gets this thing figured out. Whew, it's how you host it. Yeah, so yeah, what does he do? Yeah. Forget about that card. He goes back to Numbers 4. The ways of the Lord. Picks it up. One, two, three, four, five, six. Sacrifice. Worship. Takes a long time. One, two, three, four, five, six. Kills another ox. Worship, sacrifice. Takes a long time. We could get a lot quicker with a cart. Let me just finish with this. It's not about you getting to the promised land. It's about how you get to the promised land. How you host the presence as you get there. How do you ride favor? Not being familiar with the works of God, being familiar with the ways of God. What, what are the ways of God? If you're writing this, write this down. The ways of God are principles and processes that God operates in your life that come out of his nature, which means he works with you in a way that he doesn't work with your cousin. He works with you in a way that he doesn't work with your sister. It's you. This is the way he's going to do it with you. I'm locked in, committed to the way you work with me, God. I want to see your ways. Because this wave may be a little different for you. I just heard my story, how this wave is for me. The breakthrough that you want, you've been fasting and praying for, the question is, what do you do when it comes? Have you been committed to the ways of God? And, and I want to pray with you, but the Lord loves you too much to lose you to revival. The Lord loves you too much to lose you for your breakthrough. So he'll hold it back and be like, all right, once you've learned the ways, I'll release it. Because it's about you getting into the city of David, carrying my presence with you. Can you stand up? I want to pray with you.
Father. Father, we're committed to your presence. We love your presence. We don't understand how you work sometimes. We don't understand sometimes why the wicked prosper, why sometimes it feels like our promise is late. But Father, we're committed to your ways. We see your works. We're grateful for your works. We want more of your works, Lord. But above all else, don't make us go up from here if your presence doesn't come with us. I pray for Legacy Nashville, that it would be a church that knows how to host the ark of the Lord. It may not be a church that's flying on a new cart. It may not be a church that is loud. But Father, it's a church that's taken six steps, sacrificing on the seventh. Six steps, sacrificing on the seventh. Father, I pray that you would bring encouragement into our hearts this morning. To all the leaders in this place and every family here represented. That yes, you want us to have breakthrough, but more than anything, you want us to be connected and committed to you in the midst of breakthrough. So I pray that as we ride our big waves of favor, would we never, never, ever compromise on your presence. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys.